Hi there, and welcome to our Hollowed Fruit Podcast. Here we will meet inspirational LGBTQIA persons whose journeys and practices illustrate the flowering and fertile possibilities for all of our souls. I'm Brian Anthos, a spiritual guide for pleasure and peace seekers. You can find out more about me at brianantos.com. Let's take a moment now to pause and find some quiet, and to consider again that we are a part of something larger than ourselves. As we begin, let us be at peace. Welcome to Episode 6 of Our Hallowed Fruit. Today we welcome interspiritual meditation leader and sacred activist, Jeanette Banaschak. Hello world, hello universe. I'm Brian Anthos, and welcome back to our Hallowed Fruit podcast. It's hard to believe, but this is already episode six in this first season. I've appreciated so much the engagement from so many listeners like you, and thank you to those of you who have taken an extra moment to message me, to say hello, and in some cases, even suggest future topics and guests. I'm looking forward to the rest of this season and to what this show continues to transform into as we head into 2022 and season two. So whether this is your first episode or sixth, thank you and welcome. And now on to episode six. Today we welcome Jeanette Banaschak from Chicago. Jeanette, hello, welcome, and thank you for joining us here on Our Hallowed Fruit. Thanks, Brian. It's a treat being on this podcast with you and all the listeners. I'll give a brief intro of Jeanette to kick things off. Jeanette is a queer, bilingual, contemplative educator, ideator, and emerging sacred activist. She is the co-founder and co-director of the Spiritual Guidance Training Institute and is a faculty member of Erickson Institute. Jeanette, those, it's quite the list of titles and roles and duties. Oh my. <laughs> so first, let's talk about these organizations uh, that seem to fill your days, and also the ways in which you describe yourself. So to kick things off, uh, give us a sense of what Erickson Institute is and what maybe the Spiritual Guidance Training Institute is. Yeah. Erickson Institute is uh, an institute of higher education, and we offer master's degrees and certificates for people interested in um, Master's of Education, Teacher Licensure, and Social Work. And I teach uh, child development courses and social and emotional learning courses to students who are pursuing uh, their master's in early childhood. So Erickson's focus is on children, zero to eight, and their families or caregivers. I also uh, am a co-founder, as you said, and co-director of the Spiritual Guidance Training Institu Institute, SGTI. And my colleague and friend, Jan Lundy, and I uh, had a dream four or five years ago, and we opened our doors four years ago. We just had our birthday last month. And we offer training for people to become spiritual guides, spiritual directors, spiritual companions, 
with um, an interfaith and interspiritual focus. Wonderful. And, you know, we'll just let everyone know that is really how I met Jeanette is I'm a member of the current cohort of the Spiritual Guidance Training Institute, cohort four. Um, and I suppose you're getting ready for five as well this year. Yeah, we are. We're in the middle of um, recruiting, actively recruiting folks to start in August. Let's continue with that thread of spiritual guidance or spiritual direction. First, a bit about the those terminologies uh, that we hear interchanged, used differently, maybe by different people. Uh, what is spiritual guidance versus spiritual direction to you? How do you see spiritual guidance lived out as a desired space by people here in 2021? Well, I'll answer the first question, what's the difference? Rabbi Howard Addison, in a book that we incorporate in our curriculum, talks about the hierarchy of the terms spiritual direction, spiritual guide, spiritual companion, and spiritual friend. And so in some ways, that might be one answer to your question. But for me, I I use them interchangeably depending on the relationship that I have. I also have a, a small private practice with individuals. And there are some people who use the traditional terminology spiritual direction. So then I identify as spiritual director, but um, there are others who might use the term spiritual companion. And it there's like a less of a hierarchical understanding of the relationship. And so I'll use that term as well as spiritual friend or spiritual guide. Yeah, it really, it really seems like there is, um, it, it is interchangeable. I think from my perspective too is to the seeker, to the person coming looking for that space, uh, it could feel different. It could sound different. And there is a way to meet that title, if you will, slightly differently. Yeah. You know, I I was recently telling someone, we had interviewed someone for our newest cohort. and, And I said, this isn't necessarily what all of SGTI um, purports, but for me, if I had my way, I would, I would use the term spiritual friend for everyone. How have you seen the space change, react to at all? Mm. What we've been through in the past year and a half now with this pandemic, has it changed? How has it reacted? Yeah. That is such an interesting question, Brian, because I, I think I'm finally starting to like offer or provide an answer to that question. It seemed before like it was too early to say, what, what's changed or what can we hope for in the future? Because we didn't really even have a grasp of what was happening. And I think sometimes, you know, I've been in education since 1998, and sometimes we'll say, we'll spend like, you know, a minute or a couple of days on trying to figure out what the issue is. And then now what, you know, go straight to kind of application. And I want to make sure that we're like spending time really understanding what is going on here. And, you know, I I don't know that I still have a, a clear understanding of everything when I think about what's going on in India, while simultaneously, where the numbers of of COVID-19 are going up, while simultaneously here in the U.S., things are opening. You know, Lollapalooza is happening in Chicago this summer. (laughs) (laughs) 
And, and so like that, so I, I don't really, I don't understand fully everything, but I'm going to provide a, a, maybe a guess, a hint and guess sure. to, to some of the changes. I want to, even before I do that, I want to include the other pandemics that are happening. So we have the COVID-19 pandemic. We have also the pandemic of racism. Mm. We have the pandemic, especially in Chicago, of gun violence. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have these, these multiple pandemics. And I think that's another, you know, there, there are some intersections there that have become really apparent and clear as we're coming up to uh, the one year anniversary of George Floyd's uh, murder. You know, all of these things are, are like, I think Chicago's getting ready for that. Um, so I wanted to say that when we're talking about the pandemic, I'm thinking about all of those pandemics. Um, as far as how are people in spiritual direction, how are they changed or how is the practice changing I would say that um, based on what just happened at the Spiritual Directors International Conference, who was invited and what people were talking about, there was a heavy emph emphasis on social justice and bringing justice into the practice as well as for programs like ours and others, bringing it into the curriculum and not just as like a standalone um, say module or um, or lesson, but infused throughout all of the all of the modules, and we still have some ways to go at SGTI, but that has been one of the major changes that we are making in becoming anti-racist, anti-oppressive, and doing our own personal work as well as doing the work to interrogate our curriculum and decolonize it. It's incredible work. I'm sure an incredible journey. What are the effects then or relation to being an inner spiritual interfaith program mm. and trying, trying to do that work? Mm -hmm. That is such an interesting question. And not a lot of people have asked us that. And, and I just think it's one that we need to be really explicit about from the very beginning, because so as you know, Brian, because you're part of our program, we have several modules on some of the religious, spiritual, and ethical traditions, and we don't promise to, to <laughs> go deep in one of them specifically, um, or any one more than another, but we are introducing them more as, we're not introducing content, we're introducing people who practice a particular religion. So getting to know um, the people. So. If we are studying, for example, Islam, and we learn that it's the fastest growing religion in the world, well, if we're talking about the world, <laughs> then we're talking about people who speak other languages, who are different races, different cultures. And what are the things that we need to know about a person before we can engage? What are the attitudes that we need to cultivate before we can engage? Or can we just engage without knowing anything? You know, I, our mentality is that we want to be really cautious. I think that the first um, most important thing to think about in spiritual direction is to first do no harm. We need to have an understanding of where people are coming from, 
racially, culturally, like all of the isms, we have to have an idea of what they are and also the intersections of them. Interfaith education in general, like in the past has been about having dialogue that's respectful, where we learn to tolerate each other. I think that is very important, of course. Like, how could I say that's not important? But we also want to go another level, which is to say, can we all be in the same room, have dialogue together, have compassion for each other, walk out of the room and not think, oh, my religion is still the best. Mm. And I would say without them having to come together to be the complete same thing either. Yes. Yes, to, to respect the differences because, you know, at the end of the day, we don't know every religion and we don't know every person who practices every religion. And to say that, you know, they're all similar in some ways. We don't, we don't really know that. Ed Bastian talks about that. And, and a little bit later, I'll introduce interspiritual meditation as a, a seven-step process. He reminds us that we don't know everything about every religion. And so we can't collapse them. Or I believe the invitation is to still be in relationship with people who are practicing them. I think about the term of welcome. Mm. Yeah. And and how we welcome one another. Sort of like if you had people over to your home, what does it mean to really welcome someone? Welcome everything that they bring and who they are to learn about that? to want to know about that Mm. and to see them as equal, but very different and to, to find the love and hope in that Mm. versus as you said to, for them to leave and go, well, you know what, we're, we're still better. Our home's better. Our religion's better. Or to say, oh, you know, it's really all the same thing. Mm -hmm. We're not really all the same thing. And I think that there's strength and power in that. Mm-hmm. Well, you you touched on a value that is really near and dear to us at SGTI. It is one of our values, hospitality. And it's also one of my, my partners and my values of, of our home. But even beyond that, just for me to be a hospitable person in the world, what does that look like? And, and how do I cultivate being a hospitable person? and welcoming person. I practice it by being hospitable, you know, by walking down the street in Chicago and being open to difference, to being curious about difference, to being inclusive of difference. So I'm not saying that I'm perfect at it, but the way that I practice it is is by doing it. Yeah, and, and I would say to celebrate difference mm. too. Yeah. And and to make room for, you know, the pride of anyone's tradition and to get to know that, but leave room for their pride of it, too. Mm, yeah. This is probably an impossible question, but I'm going to ask it anyway for, for those listening. Who are the people that come to SGTI, Spiritual mm. Guidance Training Institute? Who are the people that come to it? Who is involved with it? And when they're done with it, what typically happens? <laughs> that is a great I know it's impossible that's a great question um, because we ask the same question we ask the same question and or the same questions who 
who is at SGTI? I would say people who are interested are either very strong in one religious, spiritual, or ethical tradition, and they are open to learning about the truths of others in order to strengthen theirs, or they are people who identify as multiply religious. So if there are like three million Jews in the United States, one million of those identify as both Buddhist and Jew. So there's, they have a hybrid religion. They are interested in us. People who identify as, as interspiritual are interested. And then people who are, there's not a great term for this, but the nuns, the unaffiliated, the spiritually independent or interdependent people, people who have left organized religion for a variety of reasons, they, they find a home at SGTI. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say as a member of this cohort four, there is, I don't know that there's two people alike in terms of their spiritual background and, and current spirituality. Yeah. Which is what has been so beautiful about this program uh, and this community that you and Jan have built. Is it a something that you do see often in these cohorts of, I certainly have felt it with this group, of there's someone's sort of backstory to spirituality mm. and how they ended up in the place they're in mm -hmm. versus this is what I've had my whole life. The backstory is as, is as diverse as the people. Yeah. Yeah. So there's not one particular way. You know, we have people who have no degrees all the way up through many degrees in terms of education. We have people from um, all over the U.S. We have people from a few different other countries as well. Um, about f in every single cohort so far, 40 to 50% identify as queer. Um, so, you know, there are people who came out a year ago and there are people who d didn't ever come out because they just were out forever <laughs> since the beginning. Yeah. So, you know, the, the diversity of people that attend SGTI is vast and, you know, we're not for everybody too. So you describe yourself as a queer bilingual contemplative educator and ideator and an emerging sacred activist. So we're going to break this down a little bit. So first, take us through contemplative educator and ideator. <laughs> I was being a your little words, bit I was being words. a little bit playful with that, Brian. Um, <laughs> when I like I said, I started teaching in the 90s, and the kind of teaching that I did was very much like energetic. You know, I had a lot of energy in what I was teaching. I was originally a Spanish high school teacher. That was my first professional work. I met my spiritual director. So in order to answer this question, I have to give a little background to my life. Sure. In 2006, I met my first spiritual director who changed my life and the trajectory of my life. And I met her at a silent retreat. Um, this was what we call a directed silent retreat. So that means that every day we would meet with a spiritual guide and talk about what was going on. And from that moment on, I met with her for the next 10 years, every single month. In some of our conversations, we would talk about meditation and prayer. She would ask a question every single time we met, which was, how's your prayer? How's your prayer life? Mm -hmm. And for the first three, four, five years, I didn't really have anything to say except for 
there's a lot of words that I would use to describe my prayer life. So what some would call vocal prayer. In our sessions, my spiritual director and I would talk about what it means to be a contemplative person. What does it mean to bring your prayer into your life? To have your life as a prayer. And that was like a paradigm shift for me. So we would talk about the contemplative life, what that meant, and then we would talk about contemplative education. And she was also an educator. And I, I got introduced through her to a bunch of practices that I could incorporate in my personal life, some spiritual practices, as well as ones that I could incorporate in the classroom. It changed everything about the way that I teach. A contemplative educator, for me, means to open up to what is going on both exteriorly and interiorly. And I might call it like the inner landscape or, you know, my inner life, my inner world, something like that. But it's, it's being able to understand that there are things happening interiorly that make their way exteriorly and to, to pay attention and to tend to those things. On the one hand, I'm doing that as I teach. You know, I'm paying attention to, to what's going on, to what my needs are or might be, to how I'm feeling in the moment, to a memory that comes up as I'm in conversation with, with students. So I'm tending to that. And also I am incorporating contemplative practices within the classroom. Ideator, that part of it just means I have a whole lot of ideas on how to do that. And I love to, to try new things and pose them as experiments in some ways with students saying, you know, I've never done this with a group of students. Let's try it. And, and so that's the, that's the ideator part where I'm coming up with a bunch of different possibilities in order to promote presence. So my own presence with my students and then the students' presence with themselves, as well as the content, the voices, the community, all of those pieces. Yeah. And in that presence, I just appreciate this articulation of what does that mean to have presence? What does it mean to be a contemplative person in today's world? I think mm. without any clarification, contemplativeness or prayer, as you said earlier, could be these acts of seclusion and quiet, not educating in a classroom. Mm -hmm. It's like creating space for silence. I mean, you know, we've pivoted to Zoom. I've already been teaching on Zoom with HTTI, but also with Erickson, I've been teaching online courses. And so having silence incorporated with Zoom can be so awkward um, for, you know, for all the reasons. And, <laughs> and to try to cultivate that and to make a space to help to create a space that hopefully they're also creating. So we're co-creating this brave and safe space for the truths that emerge in silence to be able to access our own inner wisdom, our own inner truth. Beautifully said, and makes me think of a, a few kind of spiritual connections. One is with uh, the spirituality of that Tantra provides of bringing our consciousness, bringing full consciousness to the everyday, mm. being rooted in our bodies in the everyday. Yeah. Um, I also think of uh, the Jesuits, contemplatives in action, right? Mm -hmm. This idea that 
we don't always have to be in a separate place to find this inner quiet, inner strength. And in fact, how can we bring that inner place to the external, to whatever it is that we're doing versus Mm -hmm. this separation of it, Mm -hmm. which can very often be what we grow up learning, right? Mm -hmm. You go to a church to find this place. It's something separate. You need quiet prayer time in a particular way with a particular book or a particular page on the right day at the right time. How beautiful it can be to try to make these connections and bringing the interior life into the everyday. Mm -hmm. And that's why I identify as an emerging sacred activist. Perfect segue. I came out in West Michigan, which was not, for me, the most hospitable environment to come out in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I grew up in Chicago from age six to 18 in Chicago land area. And then I moved away for 22 years. I came back five years ago. When I moved to Chicago, it was the environment really helped me to heal from the difficulty of coming out in West Michigan. I had some shame when I came out that was, because I came out as an adult, that kept me from being myself. I wasn't even open to sharing who I was fully with dear friends of mine, people who I would consider dear friends. Mm. And I had to come to terms with this shame and recognize it in order to change the narrative of my life. Mm -hmm. Which is one of the things I love about spiritual guidance because Every time I'm meeting with someone, myself, as a seeker, as a client, I am, I'm telling stories of my life. And when I hear myself tell these stories, shifts happen, change is happening, you know, internally, and that makes its way into the external. So when I came to Chicago, <laughs> I felt like I could be myself. I ran the pride run um, for the first time. I don't even like running, but I just did it because I wanted to be around (laughs) over a thousand queer people at once and allies. Mm -hmm. And when I talk about this part of my story, for me, there is such... The importance of the environment in coming out. The importance of community and coming out, those two things, you know, to have people who, going back to spiritual friendship, who I know are going to lo- are going to love me for friendship's sake, mm-hmm. without judgment, with acceptance. So I came to Chicago, and the thing about Chicago, with I mentioned earlier, the gun violence, the the police v- violence against Black and Brown people. Everyone here has feels an impact of it. We're not removed. Like I felt removed in some ways when I was in West Michigan, but we feel the impact of that violence and of the multiple pandemics. I ended up marrying an activist and, and I moved to, and I'm getting a little bit out of order here, Brian. Um, All good. So I moved to Chicago uh, with my, to be with my partner because we had a long distance relationship. I happen to marry an activist, so (laughs) it's just front and center in our lives. And that's why I say I'm emerging, because in West Michigan, I could hardly even be myself. And now that I'm in Chicago, I feel like there's like been a double coming out, you know, where I can participate in marches and protests because I feel it acutely. Yeah. 
yeah. in the city. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. So what is the role of a sacred activist? What does that look like in your life? Yeah. Earlier we talked about how I identify as a contemplative educator and just as a contemplative person. It's important for me to be grounded and to be centered when I am doing activist work. And so that's what I mean by sacred activism. So I have participated in some marches with uh, people where violence um, kind of begets violence. The anger that, that arises is a kind of anger where it comes from a place of trauma. I'm imagining that it comes from a place of deep, deep hurt. You know, we have, so for me, I want to be able to participate in activism from a centered place. I am going to be angry about certain things, but I do not want to be angry in a way that leads to violence. Yeah, I, I really hear connections to what you said earlier again of, of the presence, yeah, of the consciousness of bringing the interior to this waking moment, if you will. There's a, I want to give a couple of quotes that have inspired me and that are in our, our curriculum. We have a module that's called Compassionate Sacred Activism. And this is from Aboriginal activists. I, I learned this quote from an activist who's also a spiritual guide and she does work in, in prisons. But this is the quote, if you have come to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. And Nelson Mandela said, for to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. So in both of those quotes, you have liberation, you have freedom. In, in, in many ways, that's how I would define what a spiritual guide does, is to, um, to promote freedom in ourselves and in others. Yeah, I find those so helpful, understanding really what the possibilities are for us in a spiritual guidance space or just in everyday life too. Yeah. Which I certainly think that while there's something very specific about the space of spiritual guidance and spiritual direction, it really is also a way of life. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's how I, it is. It's a way of life. It's a, it's a, a blank canvas every morning but not a blank canvas in terms of forgetting what's in the past, but a, a blank canvas for the possibilities, for hoping, for transformation, for the hope for change, and the belief that we can grow and that everybody has a potential to grow. That's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard one to wrestle with. It's lovely. Thank you. What is your message to those of, anyone out there that would like to live as an openly queer spiritual guide or queer educator or queer activist, maybe they don't quite see a pathway to that openness just yet. What is a message to someone like that? I love this question so much. The two things that I mentioned earlier, I would encourage being involved, cultivating relationships with people who are going to say, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Keep going. What does this mean for you? So having a, a community of people um, as well as 
being in an environment where you can be yourself. That's the biggest thing for me, those two things. I know that it's a privilege to be able to be in a city where you can be yourself or to be in a school where you can be yourself or to be in a work where you can be yourself. I have friends who are not out in their work. They're not out in their cities. If it's at all possible to change one thing about your environment or about your community, to be in those spaces and with those people who are going to love you and support you. Support is the biggest thing. To support you for the, the ways that you want to be and live and work in the world who are going to affirm you for all the parts of who you are. Wonderful. Thank you. And thank you to SGTI for being one of those spaces as well. Yeah. So on every episode here on our Hallowed Fruit, we always have a moment of sharing a spiritual practice. And we also, towards the end, have a little joy and gratitude. And so we're going to try something different today here. We're going to combine all of this moment and invite Jeanette to share a little bit of one of her many practices in her spiritual meditation um, that she has some additional experience and training in as well. And to first share a little bit about what is the practice? How did she come to find it? How do you describe it? And then to lead us in a short little glimpse into the possibilities of this as well for our joy and gratitude today. Interspiritual meditation, I, I was introduced to it when Jan and I were leading an all-day workshop at uh, an SDI conference, Spiritual Directors International Conference, a few years ago. Part of our workshop, in it, we, we um, worked with a couple of other people, Ed Bastian being one and Mirabai Starr being another, both of those people identifying um, as, I think, interspiritual or in the interspiritual uh, realm and discipline. And so I was introduced to Ed Bastian there and we developed a friendship and I took the courses and I became a facilitator of interspiritual meditation and now I'm in the process of becoming a mentor. And it, 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 it's, it actually started now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, my partner and I wanted to do something together spiritually. Uh, we wanted to do a practice and we thought, let's try inner spiritual meditation. So we did that and that was a really profound and powerful several months for us. So let me tell you what ISM is, interspiritual meditation. Yeah. It's a, it's a universal process that's drawn from the world's spiritual traditions. And it came out of Ed Bastian was a part of the Snowmass conferences with people like Father Thomas Keating in Colorado. And, and while he was there, people were leading their different practices. You know, a Jewish person might lead their Jewish practice and a Buddhist person might lead their Buddhist practice. And he wondered if there could be a practice that is drawn from all of the traditions where everybody could participate. Mm. And, and so he had a dream and a vision and it came out of that. So it's this seven-step seven process that enables people of different spiritual practices to create engaged contemplative communities that are based on mm, compassion, empathy, and meditation and service. So I would be happy to lead you in a 
a short meditation. And normally this would be like 10 to 20 minutes, but I'll just do a few minutes. Yeah, just a nice, nice little intro for everyone to get a, a sense of it and yeah. would just warn anyone, uh, you know, we don't recommend operating heavy machinery while meditating. And so if you're driving out there, uh, you, you might choose to do this later. So you're not meditating while driving. Um, that's our little liability warning. But uh, please, yes, Jeanette, how can we prepare for these few moments of meditation with you and look forward to it? Yeah. So to prepare for the meditation, I would invite everybody to have their feet flat on the floor if you're sitting. And if you're wanting to do a walking meditation, that's fine too. But to stand, if you're standing or seated as, as tall as you can, as straight as you can, I invite you to close your eyes or if they're open, have them fixed on something maybe six to eight feet in front of you, have your arms relaxed on your lap and start to notice your breathing. There are seven steps in this process. May we be happy and healthy. May we be grateful. May we be transformed. May we be loving and compassionate. May we be mindful through our breathing. May we be wise in meditation. And may we be in service to all. And what I'll do is I'll start with the first step, provide a quote and invite us to sit with that step. We'll go through these pretty quickly, but you'll get a sense for the process. May we be happy and healthy. From Taoism. Health is the greatest possession. Contentment is the greatest treasure. Confidence is the greatest friend. Non-being is the greatest joy. May we be grateful. From Mary Oliver. Praying. It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. May we be transformed from the Gospel of Thomas. Come to know the one in the presence before you and everything hidden from you will be revealed. 
when you are able to make two become one, the inside like the outside, and the outside like the inside, then you shall enter in. May we be loving and compassionate from the way of the Bodhisattva. May I be a guide for those who journey on the road. May I be a boat, a raft, a bridge for those who wish to cross the water. May I be an isle for those who yearn for land, a lamp for those who long for light, for all who need a resting place, a bed. Thus, for everything that lives, as far as are the limits of the sky, may I be constantly their source of livelihood until they pass beyond all sorrow. May we be mindful through our breathing. From Ezekiel. The Sovereign Lord says to these bones, I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. May we be wise in meditation. From Teresa of Avila. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing make you afraid. All things pass, but God is unchanging. Patience is enough for everything. You who have God lack nothing. God alone is sufficient. May we be in service to all. This is from Slow Buffalo, a Lakota chief. We have come on a good road of loving one another and sticking by one another. At this time we will disperse, so keep the good work and love one another. That is the road that we came from, the road of life. Nothing but good and have strong willpower to do all this, and all this, it will be so. May we be happy and healthy. May we be grateful. May we be transformed. 
May we be loving and compassionate. May we be mindful through our breathing. May we be wise in meditation. May we be in service to all. Thank you so much, Jeanette. Personally, find so much peace, so much of that purposeful quiet we've spoken about today. So much hope and possibility uh, in, in that kind of an offering. So thanks for sharing that today. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, as we close out our time here, um, if anyone listening would like to get in touch with you and maybe learn more about inner spiritual meditation or uh, seek out you as a spiritual guide um, or as a fellow maybe queer educator, a sacred activist, how might they find you? I think the best way to find me would be through email. And the email address is spiritualguidancetraining.com. And that's all one word, spiritualguidancetraining.com. No, excuse me, that's our, that's our website. Our email address is spiritualguidancetraining at gmail.com, all one word. Perfect. Luckily, it's the same, right? Spiritualguidancetraining.com or at gmail.com. Yes. Perfect. And we will include um, that information as well in the podcast description for this episode. So it will be there for anyone listening as well. Jeanette, this has been a privilege. Uh, So thank you for stopping by today. Thank you for sharing so openly, covered so much ground. So thank you for this time. Really was a gift. You're welcome. It was a gift for me as well. Thank you. To everyone listening, I am Brian Anthos. You can find out more about me at brianthos.com. That's B-R-Y-A-N-A-N-T-H-O-S.com. Appreciate everyone always stopping by this episode six of Our Hollowed Fruit. And we'll see everyone very soon. Thanks for stopping by today.